I have called up in all my years of sorcery Hello and welcome to The Double Shadow, a podcast exploring the weird fiction of 20th century writer Clark Ashton Smith. I'm not Tim. (laughs) I'm Mike. I'm Tim. I'm Phil. And I'm Ruth, I think. This week we'll be covering The Coming of the White Worm with special returning guest, me, Mike Bukowski. Woohoo! Yay! Welcome back, Mike. Not even a slow clap. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me back. So, Mike, what have you been doing? What's the haps? Um, actually, for a very long time, a whole bunch of nothing because I broke my finger. I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about that because I, of course, saw the horrific photo of your broken finger on Facebook. <laughs> what did you do? Like, um, I got... Did you take a hammer to it? No, I, that would actually probably have been better. I got doored. I was riding my bike oh. and uh, somebody just flung their door open and the middle finger of my drawing hand, actually the last, the like longest bone, like the one closer to your hand, that mm-hmm. bone took the full force of the quarter of an inch edge of a door uh, and it kind of just snapped in half. Oh, that's, man. That's horrifying. But the grossest part was that like I jumped up and like I flexed my hand and it like didn't really hurt and it looked fine. Like it had a cut on it, but that was it. And then I, so I got back on my bike and rode away. And like three blocks later, I went to use my brake and it hurt really bad. Oh, man. And, but I couldn't like look while I was riding. So I saw my friend walking down the street and I stopped to talk to her and I was like, yeah, I think I hurt my hand. And I went, I was like, every time I use my brake, it hurts real bad. And that's the first time I looked at it while I did it. And my finger was bending like I had an extra knuckle. Oh, it was oh, so bad. Oh. I love that you said you jumped up and flexed. <laughs> I mean, I know it was flexed your hand, but in my mind, like you jumped over and just like, yeah. I just got up and I was like, the beach is that way. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but then, uh, so I went to the doctor and got it looked at. And since I don't have insurance, I just like went to the, uh, you know, the free clinic. And they said it was a really clean break, though. And I just had to wait it out. So I didn't have to get x-rays or have it set or anything, but it put me out of commission drawing-wise for like yeah. a month and a half. Well, that's, I mean, it's good as a clean break, but dang. Yeah. <laughs> and it was one of those things, too, where like I was like, oh, cool, I'll have all this time to read now. But then it was a double-edged sword where I was reading cool stories about monsters and wanted to draw them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I couldn't, so I was just like making myself more and more frustrated. Torture. Yeah. Uh, yeah but that tough. was that, and then... I just did uh, the first collection of my zines. Uh, it was like the first four right, volumes yeah. collected into one big, massive zine. And Has that sold out? Yes, those sold out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is that even a question? <laughs> well, I wasn't sure because usually when stuff when you put when he puts stuff on sale, I, I follow it very closely on Facebook because 
for those of you who don't know, I spend a lot of time procrastinating on the internet all day long. <laughs> Um, but I didn't. I didn't catch the. They were sold out announcement for that one, so I wasn't sure. Oh yeah, um, those sold out. But I am going to do another twenty-five that I'm bringing to Necronomicon. Yes, oh, sweet. So, yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> Although, wait, I already have the first. Hmm. I don't have any. I'm going to buy them up. <laughs> yeah, save one for Tim. <laughs> I'm going to buy them up. Uh, the, the other cool thing that the uh, only cool thing that came out of me breaking my finger was that I got to do that um, guests in the witch house uh, oh, yeah. feature on my blog where I had guest artists do uh, renditions of heroes from mythos stories since I'm always doing the monsters. Right. And I got a the bunch of Clark Ashton Smith heroes on there. Yeah. You had Gaspar Dunord. That was awesome. It was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> we'll definitely have to link to it. Yeah, my friend Liz did Gaspar Dunord, and she actually had never even heard of Clark Ashton Smith before. It was the first time she ever read him. And um, my friend Jen Woodall, who did the Sabine piece, which is, I yeah, that think, awesome. that one might be my favorite. Um, she had also never heard of him either. So it was really cool, like, introducing people to him. And, like, they both really liked it. So it was really cool to, like, I don't know, see their reactions and see what they did after reading one of his stories. It was really cool. Every time you posted a, a new illustration from a Clark Ashton Smith story, I was like, Phil, let's get this person on the podcast. <laughs> How do we get them on? Uh, did you like? Did you recommend to them specific stories, or did they just pick those stories? No, I recommended specific stories okay. that I thought would go yeah, yeah. well with their style. Um, Love it. And it went so well that I'm going to do it again, even though my finger is better now. Yeah, yeah. Huh. And uh, yeah. my partner, Gene, is getting ready to do... Uh, Jarell of Jory, which is really cool. Have you ever guys ever read that? No, no. It's no. Uh, C.L. Moore's like female Conan, basically. Really? <laughs> it's nice. It's really awesome, and her whole thing is like That's fantastic. Yeah, her whole thing is uh, she always talks about her over powering rage like oh, whenever she's like fighting a sorcerer and she's like thinks she's gonna get beat she just gets really mad and then <laughs> finds it in herself to like destroy him but gene's like been in love with those stories i was like now's your chance to illustrate one yeah heck yeah yeah that's awesome so should we talk about the story or well can i interject something here just say that between Last time we recorded and this time we recorded, I watched Phil's film. That oh, you so did I. Oh, yes. And really liked it. Me too. Definitely recommend. May see again in theaters. It's got a score by Bear McCreary. It's like for NASA geeks, it's a must see. It is an absolute must see if you're a NASA geek. And for anybody who likes good sci fi too. But as, as, a, as a NASA geek and as somebody who watched the Mars rover and who's met a, an ISS astronaut and that sort of thing, I was just like the whole time going, oh my God, it's like if NASA TV were a thousand yeah, times more exciting, totally. but not, but not like 10,000 times more exciting because <laughs> they behave like scientists and it's like, it's, they're like scientists they are like the people that you'll meet that are astronauts are very collected. They think a lot. They're not like running around the ship. I like it. Thanks, so. Ruth. That was a better, how was a better could, pitch than I could give. How do I get to see it? Uh, so you can you can get it on VOD services, so like iTunes, movies has it and stuff. Okay. Um, and then it'll be in some theaters uh, in August. I don't know if it's playing um, 
anywhere near you, but I can I can send you a link. I see people because I'm you know I'm this way. I have like a, a Twitter alert set up right, so I see everybody yeah, who, I know. <laughs> who tweets about it. But a lot of people who tweet about it, I definitely know have pirated it, and then they say bad things about it, and then I want to like accost them and make them pay. Because <laughs> right. if you're gonna you if you're gonna hate it, you at least have to pay. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair. <laughs> that's that's going to be like my new fair. slogan for everything. <laughs> yeah, I just got it through Amazon, which is already hooked up to my television, so it was pretty easy. I will not be pirating that movie. Okay, good. <laughs> it was so worth the $10. I don't know. That's like, that's like matinee prices, and you don't have to sit in a theater with a bunch of people screaming. Yeah, yes, exactly, and if there's yeah. more than one of you, it's so cheap. Yeah, it's true. I know. And I got to, as I was watching it, I got to pause it and text Phil about what I was feeling at the time. <laughs> yeah, I, get that I may have sent a lot of messages on Twitter and even through some Gchat to Phil. <laughs> Can't Sorry. get that in the theater, Tim said. <laughs> <laughs> Unless I'm next to you holding your hand. <laughs> so this is The Coming of the White Worm. And it was originally published in the April 1941 issue of Stirring Science Stories. That issue featured stories by James Blish, who I think we'll recall really didn't like Clark Ashton Smith's mm-hmm. writing. Isn't that the guy yes. who we learned? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Henry Kuttner, C.M. Kornbluth, and others. The story has a pretty crazy route to publication. Um, so it was published in 1941. It was originally written in 1933. Uh, it was rejected by Weird Tales. Then it was going to appear in a magazine called Marvel Tales, uh, but it never did. Then it was submitted to John W. Campbell's Unknown magazine in 1938. They rejected it until finally later that same year, uh, Weird Tales came around asking for new material from from Smith. Um, And this time they accepted the story. But then immediately after that, Weird Tales was bought by a guy who didn't want anything, quote unquote, nasty in its pages. So they dropped the white worm because they thought it was nasty. I can't imagine why. And then finally in 1941, it ended up in stirring science stories. Though, in a final irony, uh, it seems that that magazine was not actually a paying magazine. So Clark Ashton Smith never, to our knowledge, received money for, I guess, the initial printing. It was probably in collections later that he made money off. Right. Oh, just let us publish it. You can put it in your portfolio. Right. Uh (laughs) It's exposure, (laughs) Mr. Smith. Freelance problems. (laughs) Um, Is John W. Campbell the guy that wrote Who Goes There? Yes. That thing was based on? Yep. Yeah. It strikes me as a little interest, as, as interesting that it got picked up by stirring science stories. This is not right. one of the ones I would classify as one of his sci-fi type stories. Uh, Ruth, I don't think it's you and I have the same definition of science because, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, this story is 100% pure science. Well, actually, I, this I, could happen to you. <laughs> Look at the fossil record. <laughs> I want to talk about that afterward, actually, because um, I want to compare this to the. Um, well, I want to compare it to actually all the various stories of. Oh, how, right, the Ice Age. Right, right. Of, of how the Ice Age The Sybil, the White Sybil. The White Sybil yeah. has the one, and then you've got the other one um, with the hunters. Uh, the Ice Demon. The Ice Demon, yes. Brain is a little yeah, out of it right no. now. Um, so you've got the White Sybil, the Ice Demon, and the White Worm, and they all basically tell a different story of how the Ice Age came to Earth, and that's fascinating because yeah. it seems like a cultural... It's like Smith built this cultural history of legends, right. and you imagine one being told in one area and one being told in another area, and all of this together trying to explain what happened to their land and, and the, the encroachingness that they couldn't fight of this ice and this cold. So today, is, I guess this is really the, the third and last of his three uh, stories of how that happened. Tales of the Ice Age. See, I kind of thought that, didn't they not actually explain where the Ice Age came from in 
the white Sybil. They were just like, oh, there's an Ice Age coming, yeah. we're trying to fight it with magic and we can't stop it. And I kind of, when I read this, I was like, oh, this is why they can't fight the Ice Age, because there's this gross worm that keeps crying and he's making it cold. <laughs> that that could be part of it. Um, I got I got this weird feeling that the White Sybil was somehow connected yeah i i don't remember exactly either but i do feel like there was something in there that tried to explain the ice age but i don't yeah i don't remember there's a vague recollection in my i mean it's not like we all read the story so who will never know (laughs) the world will never know uh, we need derlift to come in here and like fix this up (laughs) this should be a good one (laughs) welcome to the double double shadow take three (laughs) And we have the shortest term memory of any podcast. I think it's an interesting idea, and it's like kind of like Lovecraft's whole idea, where he didn't he didn't really care which great old ones were related to which great old ones. He was just like, oh yeah, I'll just throw whatever. It does. It didn't need to be right, like mm-hmm. contiguous. And I think it's the same with this. Maybe he's just like, oh, I tell another Ice Age story. Right. Mm-hmm. This time it's. <laughs> 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 Next time it'll be a beautiful lady. <laughs> okay, so wh- then he just got stuck on beautiful yeah. lady. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. That? What's what's up with this worm we keep talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, no, we have a reader. Who's our yeah. reader? Joe Scalora, the incomparable right. Joe Scalora, the, back the again. divine Joe Scalora. <laughs> Rendered from the old French manuscript of Gaspard du Nord. Evig the Warlock, dwelling beside the Boreal Sea, was aware of many strange and untimely portents in midsummer. Frorly burned the sun above Muthulan from a welkin clear and wanish as ice. At eve the aurora was hung from zenith to earth like an heiress in a high chamber of gods. Wan and rare were the poppies, and small the anemones in the cliffs' sequestered vales lying behind the house of Evik, and the fruits in his walled garden were pale of rind and green at the core. Also, he beheld by day the unseasonable flight of great multitudes of fowl, going southward from the hidden isles beyond Muthulan, and by night he heard the distressful clamor of other passing multitudes. And always, in the loud wind and crying surf, he hearkened to the weird whisper of voices from realms of perennial winter. Now Evig was troubled by these portents, even as the rude fisherfolk on the shore of the haven below his house were troubled. Being a past master of all sortilage and a seer of remote and future things, he made use of his arts in an effort to divine their meaning. But a cloud was upon his eyes through the daytime, and a darkness thwarted him when he sought illumination in dreams. His most cunning horoscopes were put to naught, his familiars were silent or answered him equivocally, and confusion was amid all his geomancies and hydromancies and haruspications. And it seemed to Evig that an unknown power worked against him, mocking and making impotent in such fashion the sorcery that none had defeated heretofore. And Evig knew, by certain tokens perceptible to wizards, that the power was an evil power, and its boding was of bale to man. So we got Evog, the warlock. Uh, but more importantly, we we have Ibon and... Well, not oh, more right. but just I want to point out it mm-hmm. is, that this is awesome, because it ties Ibon to uh, Gaspar de Nord, yeah. and then into our Hyperborea world. 
I mean, I guess Ivan was already part of Hyperborea, but the book of Ivan, at least, is pretty mm-hmm. cool. Uh, so we have Evog, as Tim was yep. saying. The warlock who huh. lives by the sea. And what's happening here, the, the world is getting colder, right? Mm-hmm. And he's trying to figure out why. Because he knows it's not, it doesn't feel like a natural thing. So he's using horrispication. Yeah, what is that? Which is, it's a form of divination from lightning and other natural phenomena, but especially um, the, the inspection of entrails. So horrispices, I believe, were Etruscan um, initially. At least that's how we conceive of them now. Um, Etruscan augurers. Does geomancy and hydromancy mean uh, earth and water magic? Because that's awesome. Yeah. I certainly hope so. <laughs> I've heard of geomancies before, but hydromancies I just think is really cool. It's like the water waterbenders, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking of. So I'm, I guess I have a different version of this story. Oh, really? I'm double checking with my book and the notes, mm-hmm. and there are no mentions of any mancies. In really? First, like, huh. Paragraph. Weird. Yeah, and I want to say, do you guys have the thing about, um, I think it was the next paragraph, but where the the ships show up and everybody's faces and hands are all leprosy. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you guys have that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For some reason, yeah, the um, the Mancies aren't in my copy. I have huh. like the weird, yeah, weird. The Sans Mancies copy. <laughs> Sans Mancy. It's where you read passages in, that aren't in books. that aren't there. That would be amazing. <laughs> Um, I have a University of Nebraska Press copy called Lost Worlds. But yeah, I don't have that, but that's cool. We were actually just, we were just talking about this because um, this is going to be really funny, but apparently Sylvester Stallone's mom. Yes. Oh, Budomancy. Yeah. Rumpelmancy. Wait, what? (laughs) She she can tell your future by looking at your butt. Really? Come on. Yes. (laughs) It's awesome and terrible and awesome and terrible but i learned about it from regretsy it's in it's like not just like she didn't just make it up and was like oh now mm-hmm. i'm an awesome answer like it's a, <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing that has existed i don't get it <laughs> rumpology it, it google just pre-filled it for me too so <laughs> bottom reading so what happens in the story what are these? What are these? What happens in in Mike's version with no mancies? <laughs> uh, and no mancies, it's the same. Just there's no mancies. Well, right, but what happens? What happens? Like, what's the what's the next? The, the first thing that happens is the ships show up. Yeah, the ships show up, and it's very Dracula esque. Uh, yeah, it is. There's a bunch of oarsmen uh, still at the oars, and the captain at the helm, but the faces and hands of all were white as leprosy. Yeah. Oh, wait, did you, do you also have in yours, or maybe not, the, the bit right before that, where they're talking about how the fishermen are catching monsters, and, uh... Man! Yeah, (laughs) right, yeah. Wow. (laughs) I know. These, these stories are too fantastic Yeah, he's like, we have to... I'm gonna make this bad. No one's gonna believe my dislike of Clark Ashton's if I have all these monsters. Yeah, no, uh, it's Yeah, like, headless things, like, bloated moons with green frozen rays about Uh them. Black shapeless things. No. Yep. Liquid foulness, triple-headed, tailed, and finned with horror. okay. Finned with horror. Finned with horror? Yep. Right. I see something finned with horror. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, it says they actually, all it says is they uh, caught dead fish. That's it. Wow. 
Your copy of this story is bull. Really? It looked like it says it looks like if they had been blasted by extreme fire or cold, but that's it. I'm going to the nightshade copy now because I I've been using the one on um, Eldritch Dark. On Eldritch Dark, but let me go look at my nightshade one. But I'll I'll pull it up gradually. Yeah, yeah. But then that (laughs) the galley with the dead fishermen, the dead uh, dead oarsmen. Yeah, you can't tell what they really are. Like, are they fishermen? Are they oarsmen? He has a good idea about it, which is just okay. Burn this thing. Right. It's like a very it's a very uh role playing game answer. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that thing is. Burn, Burn it. it. <laughs> that, For a second you know, I thought you said role playing game mancer. Like <laughs> role RPG Mancy is another thing. Should be. Let's change our podcast name to some kind of Mancy. <laughs> Shadow Mancy. So yeah, the, this this spooky spooky ship shows up uh with everybody frozen dead and Evog being a sensible sorcerer by the sea is like, yeah, let's burn it first and ask questions later. Which they do, but what happens? Well I like that he fired it with his own hands. Do you think he cast a fireball or he just threw it towards <laughs> That would be awesome. And I don't really know. <laughs> uh, I think let's let's make it fireball. Yeah, I agree. He burns the ship right in like the the bodies are too cold to burn, yeah. so everything else burns around them, which I was like, kind of didn't expect that. Yeah, I know. I was like, oh, yeah. that's a really cool idea. And they look like marble, and they're still just sitting there upright with, with all the wood around them burned away. It's a cool image. So, what? Yeah, what do you think? What are they floating on? Like, is it just like the bottom of the boat never burns, so there, there's like this husk of a boat left? Maybe. Maybe they dug into the sand a little bit. Yeah. Or some... maybe like parts of the boat that they were touching were too cold. Oh to burn yeah, too. yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. Mm. Was that there must be just some sort of like husk left. Yeah. Um, uh, there's also this great little detail in here that I think I put in my notes about like the in the another one for the annals of like awesome Clark Ashton Smith side stories. Mm-hmm. That are side characters that Evog has two servants, the boy Rafa uh-huh. and the ancient crone Helidus, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who like are in the story and then not. They just like yeah, just not. Yeah. They just die at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I want somebody he, to write write this story from their perspective. Okay, and just throwing this in, by the way, um, I looked up coming of the White Worm in the Nightshade edition. It's totally the same version that we're using. Your version, Mike. I don't know. You got you got stiffed. And- Every book, every story in that in that is that just the Clark Ashton Smith collection? Yeah, it's all stuff. <laughs> yeah, it really is. That's you guys have the part at the end where the white worm shoots rainbows out of his eyes and gives everybody <laughs> lollipops, right? Well, he um he goes to investigate the bodies, and he can just t- when he touches them, the coldness of their bodies radiates into him and burns him. I I get that, you know, if you touch a frozen body, you'll get cold, but apparently this is well more than than it should be. Yeah, and it's even, even, uh, he even feels it through the furs that he's wearing. Mm Mm-hmm. So he goes home and does some protection spells, which is probably a good idea at this point. That's definitely where I would be, again, if this were a game. (laughs) You can't get rid of this terrible thing. What are you going to do? But I like that he mentions here that he bethought him that a spell had been laid upon the dead and ensorceling such as the wan polar demons might weave, like the ice demon from the ice demon story. Right, yeah, yeah. So after the protect- protection spells, and after he puts Ratha and Hilladis to bed, uh, <laughs> he starts researching, which leads us into our second reading. Mm-hmm. Evig pursued with sedulous care the writings of Nam, 
in which are collated many powerful exorcisms. But as he read again for his comfort the old rubrics, he remembered ominously the saying of the prophet Lith, which no man had understood. There is one that inhabits the place of utter cold, and one that respireth where none other may draw breath. In the days to come he shall issue forth among the isles and cities of men, and shall bring with him as a white doom the wind that slumbereth in his dwelling. Though a fire burned in the chamber, piled with fat pine and terebinth, it seemed that a deadly chill began to invade the air toward midnight. Then, as Evig turned uneasily from the parchments of Nam and saw that the fires blazed high, he heard the sudden turmoil of a great wind full of seabirds eerily shrieking, and the cries of landfowl driven on helpless wings, and over all a high laughter of diabolic voices. Madly from the north the wind beat upon his square-based towers, and birds were cast like blown leaves of autumn against the stout pane windows, and devils seemed to tear and strain at the granite walls. Though the room's door was shut and the windows were tight-closed, an icy gust went round and round, circling the table where Evig sat, snatching the broad parchments of Nam from beneath his fingers and plucking at the lamp flame. Vainly he strove to recall that counter-charm which is most effective against the spirits of the Boreal Quarter. Then, strangely, it seemed that the wind fell, leaving a mighty stillness about the house. The chill gust was gone from the room, the lamp and the fire burned steadily, and something of warmth returned slowly into the half-frozen marrow of Evig. This is probably the best magic that we get in the entire story. That right there, that was beautiful. Yeah, I mean, there's not much like like magic, magic later. Just sort of um, right or uh, yeah, not really. No, no, no just yeah. weirdness and creepiness. And no, see, in my yeah. copy, he actually does say magic, 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 <laughs> magic, 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 <laughs> comma, etc. They they cut they cut all that paragraph we just read, and it just says magic, 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 <laughs> magic, magic, blah blah blah, wind quangular or something or other. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's awesome. The imagery in there is great. I like these stories. It's funny that, because this is one of those stories that, that was rejected a little bit because of, um, it was too prose poemy. Right. right. That's, that's what they would always say about this, the stories that are written in this, um, it's not really sing-songy, but it's like poetical style, mm-hmm. but it is awesome. It's an awesome, um, it's a little bit, I guess it reads a little bit archaic, right? But it's, um, or not archaic, but dated, uh, but it's still really cool. Yeah. Yeah, and then things just calm down. Things are really crazy, and then it calms down. And then he sees... The lights go back the on. The lights go back on, and then he sees an ice beam. <laughs> I think that's not where light's supposed to be coming yeah. from. I couldn't really picture in my head, is it coming from the sky or coming from across the sea? It's up-angled and down yeah. into his... Cause I think it's coming from the top of the... Of the... the iceberg. The iceberg, right? I but think, he doesn't. Right? Yeah, I think so. But he hasn't. He hasn't seen the actual iceberg yet. Right. Yeah. yeah. So he can't really figure out. Um, yeah. But yeah. But anything in the in this beam has turned to ice. And he hears just some whispers of a rune sleep, and then he goes to sleep. Oh, I love the rune of slumber. <laughs> I need the rune of slumber. <laughs> well, when he wakes up, surprise iceberg. <laughs> I know that's exactly <laughs> it. Surprise iceberg. So I did. I do want to show off a little bit. Uh huh. Uh, in 2007, I went to Antarctica. Oh, wow. And I took a ship there, and, like, you go through, like, two days of, like, incredible choppy water, but the first thing, when you first, like, when the, like, 
waves and stuff calm down there when they first see an iceberg they like kind of wake you all up with the pa and you like i blearily got out of bed and like rubbed sleep out of my eyes and opened the like porthole window and looked out and like i saw a surprise iceberg wow <laughs> it was really cool so i can relate to this uh, can we just rewind? Why did you go to Antarctica? Why and how? It's amazing. W um, what were you doing? Well, I was about to turn 30, okay. and I was like, I want to go to... I want to have been to every continent by the time I turned 30. Mm. And Antarctica was all I had left. Wow. So, so there you I go. just saved up a bunch of money, borrowed some money from uh, family, and went to Antarctica. It was who really ta who what, takes you yeah. to Antarctica? It's like... um. There's a cruise company, and I say cruise in <laughs> quotes because it's basically they literally take old Russian icebreakers, like wow. freight ships, and kind of plop a hotel on top of them. <laughs> like the pictures just look like this big boat with a square on it, and the square on top is where they have like the rooms and like all the like amenities and stuff. But it's really cool because I guess it's supposed to be, since it's more of like an adventure tourism thing. Mm -hmm. Every ship had, like, an ornithologist, geologist, wow. and, you know, <gasps> like, all cool. these people. And they would give you lectures every night. Thing. It was really awesome. And it's very cost prohibitive, but I yeah. would strongly encourage anyone to also seek out a reputable company and do it. Because there are, there have been problems with them, like, damaging the environment. Oh, the wow. one I was on was very conscientious of all that and it was awesome it was the most amazing thing i ever did and like got to hang out with penguins that's so and cool i actually the brought penguins. this i brought this story with me at reddit while i was on the trip <laughs> nice that and at the mountains of madness right i was gonna I ask like, yeah yeah that's uh that's a fantastic yeah. story that's very cool mike bukowski um, polar adventurer <laughs> yeah you're like the only arctic adventurer i'll ever know yeah <laughs> I mean, there's like there were tons of people on the the ship. Like, I think it's like a pretty popular thing. It, you probably will meet more <laughs> someday. <laughs> no, or you can me. go jump yourself. off the roof right now. Because <laughs> my one goal in life was to talk to an Arctic explorer. No. I'm done. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, our protagonist is about to become an Arctic explorer of yes. his own. Right. Because when he looks out, besides the surprise iceberg, when he goes adventuring down to his village, he finds it full of people who are in the same weird lying or standing upright and still rigid postures as if they'd come hold forward to behold the, the, the light and then just been smitten there. Yeah. And his own servants were leaning with faces turned toward the light. They stood stiffly, wide open eyes, pale terror in their regard, and upon them was the white death of the galley's crew. So, so much for them. Yeah. and Hillidus. It's such a shame. It really is. They were there, and now they're gone. They probably we bickered a lot, to too. Them. What I find funny about them is that he bothered to name I know. Mm -hmm. Like, he could have just said he had a ward who was an old, you know, an old crone in a, in a boy yeah. who helped him or just servants like yeah or just servants yeah and his servants turned to ice i just love that he bothered to like give them yeah. names it's misdirection um, it's like casting janet lee in psycho <laughs> right <laughs> you're like oh this crone's gonna last for this whole story oh, man <laughs> i can't wait to see the interplay Ooh, a character named rafa and then <laughs> right. kill him it's ridiculous <laughs>
See, this is what also kind of made me think of, um, is it the Ice Demons, where they find everybody frozen oh, in this yeah. position? Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't know that- if it is connected to his, like, if there's, like, a Ice Age right. story arc, but he likes to use the same, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, tropes yeah. either way. Yeah. In that it was the, the encroaching ice sheet that was doing this to people, not the not the actual worm. But yeah. Right. If, Who knows? And he realizes he can't go outside. Right. He's not sure why he's safe. Right. But... Yeah, that that so voice. Wait, he realized, like he he physically can't go outside or uh, does he just or like how does he know that he's been spared? I just have in my notes well, that he, he realizes yeah. he's been spared for some reason. Um, I can't remember how or he doesn't why know that... why, but he, he knows that if he goes outside, um he'll he'll encounter the light, the beam. But doesn't he also know that he specifically has been spared for some reason? Doesn't he? Doesn't something it, make him realize? I think that? it's because well, the rune of sleep was whispered yeah. in, into his head. But he has no idea why. Right. Uh, wait. Uh, what does he say? Um, returning to his chamber, he busied himself with various conjurations. But his familiars had gone away in the night, forsaking the angles at which he had posted them. And no spirit, either human or demoniacal, made reply to his questions. And not in any way known to wizards could he learn aught of the iceberg or divine the least inkling of its secret. Yeah, so he has no idea. He's just like, okay, I'm just going to wait then. (laughs) I'll just wait here and do some conjuring. So then after he gets sort of tired out and worn out, he starts swooning into this thing where he's having trouble breathing and he feels like invisible fingers touching him with icy pangs. And you wonder if that's what other people went through, too. That's something that he brings up a lot in the story, the breathing, like how Mm -hmm. respiration would be hard and that he seemed like overly concerned with how would like, never mind a surprise iceberg, but how would these people be breathing? (laughs) You know, well, (laughs) you know, Smith did have some, I believe, some respiratory illnesses Uh, during his time. So but isn't isn't that also doesn't doesn't that exact issue play into why he's been saved? Right. Because later on. Not to spoiler alert, but later yeah. on, when when the people who have been eaten explain why he was saved, it's because only only sorcerers of a certain level are able to breathe. Mm-hmm. So like he he brought them up there because he knew that they could breathe long uh, enough right. for him to like like parse out his snacks. Right? Isn't that? I think that's pretty much. Logic. Yeah. <laughs> and if that didn't make sense to you, you, it'll make sense later. Yeah. Right. Okay. Just put a pin in that and remember it for the end. And he also <laughs> notices that. Um, that he's now based on, no longer on the coast of Muthulan after he wakes up again, but he's actually on an iceberg. Yeah, he's on the iceberg. And so he starts praying his to the house, old ones. His whole house is on yeah. the iceberg. He wakes up one day and he's on the iceberg. And then he's who comes knocking? What, what old ones do you think that a guy like Evog prays to in this situation? I mean, in this situation, I would hope you're praying to Kafuga. Get some fire up in there and <laughs> warm it up. I was thinking it's a fog was so that you could be somewhere nice and warm and damp and have snacks. What's that? Isn't there like a the fog was just like your neighbor? He's not yeah, that's right. That's true. Uh, Isn't there like an an ice rhinoceros? (laughs) Not K. Oh yeah, that sounds familiar. I don't know too much. I don't know if he's a smith thing. uh, What is it in the horror at the museum? Or no, I think it's in one of it's like in one of the revisions or like one of the uh, post mortem stories. Maybe um, the lurker at the threshold. Okay, I haven't read that. Yeah, you don't need to. (laughs) (laughs) I actually have it. I just haven't yet read it. I've read it, and I agree. You don't need to. Horrible. Yeah, but I think there's a really long rambling thing where he mentions 
Nofka as being another name for Ron Tegoth. Huh. Uh, who is right. in Horn the Museum, yeah. Yeah, but I think also when you actually read Horror in the Museum, the Nofka are weird kind of polar bear unicorns that are separate, and I think Durlitz <laughs> just kind of like mashed them up because he didn't know what he was doing ever. Yeah. <laughs> but there you go. If Derleth never said anything bad about Clark Ashton Smith, he's higher on my yeah, positive list than <laughs> other people who shall remain nameless at this point. <laughs> he who shall not this be is, named. This is true. Um, I was looking at his letters and he seemed fairly friendly with Smith, but still. Can I, uh, are we at the next reading? Because I really want to read this one. Almost. almost. We have to, we have to, we have to, there has to be the a knock sorcerers. at the door. A little of this. Come in. Who is it? <laughs> Oh, it's just Dooney and Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Two shining-skinned alien wizards. They're from the north. No big deal. Wait, yeah, so they so we get to knock on the door and these two basically alien wizards <laughs> are there. Uh, but do you think he describes them as strange of visage and bright-skinned? And I took that as their skins were glowing, but is, does he just mean that they're white guys? I think he may mean that their their skins are reflecting like the snow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's how I, I took it. Yeah. I really write, like that they wore mantles, <laughs> wore for mantles such rune and woven stuffs as wizards wear. Yeah, yeah. they're so cool. Like, you know that old thing. Yep. <laughs> and their runes are uncouth and alien. So they serve the one who was whose coming was foretold by the prophet Lif. Yeah. From the spaces beyond the limits of the north, he hath come in his floated floating citadel, the ice mountain Yiklif. Yiklif, the ice mountain of tongue twisting. <laughs> and he spared them and is going to take them on their on, on his trip. So, oh, wait, hey. Here he says that he made respirable for us the air in which no oh, mortal yeah. man may. So the the worm gave them the, the ability the to breathe. I just, I think it's really odd how many times it comes up that... Yeah. Tempered their flesh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which kind of makes sense. But then that, see, that's the thing that I think is weird to me is like, if he's going to go through all the trouble of like, putting a spell on you to make you live in that environment, why would you have trouble breathing? Like, like I'm going to just, like, make this 90% okay for you guys. <laughs> right. Hey, look, even the white worm has limits. I guess. Yeah. I mean, he's got a whole posse to manage now. Oh, wait, and we also find out the, na- the name of the one. Rilim Shikorth. Oh, right, but, but the one they serve is... Oh, yes. Rilim Shikorth. Yeah. Which is an interesting name for a worm. Yeah. Rilim Shikorth. <laughs> They told him nothing of the natures of the properties of this Lim Shakorth, but they were in service to him, so they're going to go head and out and, they, and take and it they, to him. They, they couched the, this whole thing in, in terms of it being a little bit flattering, right? Because they mm-hmm. know, they know that, that Ivlog must be a great wizard because only the great wizards um, were spare. Only the mightiest of wizards and warlocks were chosen and exempted from the white death right. that brought everybody else down. So it's, it's uh, which figures in a little bit later that like they think that this is an honor. Like they're honored I mean, to have been chosen. They say they're powerful wizards, but I think they just got suckered into being a new cult. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah I mean, that's, that's what it is. Right. But, but like in there, they feel flattered, you know, even though, Oh my God. Rim, Rim chose you. Oh my God. You're so lucky. Wait till you meet him. He's so great. Look at my Rooney wizard cloak that he gave me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little uncouth, but you know. Oh, also, you don't have a name anymore. You're a number. Yes. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, they leave the house and they head up to the pinnacle of the... Of the iceberg. The 
The pinnacle was hollow, and climbing therein by stairs of ice, they came at last to the chamber of Rillam Shykorth, which was a circular dome with a round block at the center, forming a dais. And on the dais was that being whose advent prophet Lith had foretold obscurely. At sight of this entity, the pulses of Evig were stilled for an instant by terror, and following quickly upon the terror, his gorge rose within him through excess of loathing. In all the world there was naught that could be likened for its foulness to Rylam Shykorth. Something he had of the semblance of a fat white worm, but his bulk was beyond that of the sea elephant. His half-coiled tail was thick as the middle folds of his body, and his front reared upward from the dais in the form of a white round disc, and upon it were imprinted vaguely the lineaments of a visage belonging neither to beast of the earth nor ocean creature. And amid the visage a mouth curved uncleanly from side to side of the disc, opening and shutting incessantly on a pale and tongueless and toothless maw. The eye sockets of Rylam Shykorth were close together between his shallow nostrils, and the sockets were eyeless, but in them appeared from moment to moment globules of a blood-colored matter having the form of eyeballs, and ever the globules broke and dripped down before the dais. And from the ice floor of the dome there ascended two masses like stalagmites, purple and dark as frozen gore, which had been made by the ceaseless dripping of the globules. Duni and Uxladen prostrated themselves before the being, and Evig deemed it well to follow their example. Lying prone on the ice, he heard the red drops falling with a splash as of heavy tears, and then, in the dome above him, it seemed that a voice spoke, and the voice was like the sound of some hidden cataract in a glacier hollow with caverns. It's like, yeah, whatever, that's an okay monster, I guess, if you're going to have a monster. <laughs> so, um, they're eyeballs. Form, yeah. They form, and then I imagine they break. Like yeah. Is that what happens? Yeah, that's Something what it seems like. like. Yes. And they drip down, and they fall oh. to, like, gross, gory stalagmites. Oh, that's so nasty. It's so cool. It's <laughs> so nasty. Oh. That really is, like the most alien thing yeah yeah. yeah and his mouth is just like shuddering all the time so and gross I, so i did because i will tell you i'm planning to draw <laughs> yeah yes, and yes, i yes, did yes, a quick yes. google image search of what people have done everybody always gives him teeth he really? specifically says really? teethless yeah huh. yeah tongueless and toothless tongueless maw yeah they're getting all uh all all shy halud on it <laughs> um, the so because we haven't talked about the phallic nature of the story since the very beginning, uh, <laughs> I want to I want to tell a short story uh, about a friend of mine who and this oh, actually is a I don't know if I like me. where this is going. No, no, who who <laughs> thought for a week that he had syphilis, and during that week he he's an artist. So he drew these really horrible. <laughs> paintings and drawings, one which he entitled The Tower of Syphilis, which is just this nasty, nasty thing. So I'm just wondering if Clark Ashton Smith caught an STD uh, and then wrote, uh, about, wrote this. About his weeping member? Yeah, I'm uh, just saying, I, you know. I <laughs> yeah. didn't want to hear that. It's kind of better that he didn't get paid for this story. <laughs> um, <laughs> he got paid in, like, psychological right. um, release. Uh, like, yeah. Gross. So what does the white worm say? 
Behold, O Evol, I have preserved thee from the doom of thy fellow men, and have made thee as they that inhabit the bourne of coldness, and they that inhale the airless void. Wisdom ineffable shall be thine, and mastery beyond the conquest of mortals, if thou wilt but worship me and become my thrall. With me thou shalt voyage amid the kingdoms of the north, and shall pass among the green southern islands, and see the white falling of death upon them in the light from Yekilth. Our coming shall bring eternal frost on their gardens, and shall set upon their people's flesh the seal of that gulf whose rigor palleth one by one the most ardent stars, and putteth rhyme at the core of suns. All this thou shalt witness, being as one of the lords of death, supernal and immortal, and in the end thou shalt return with me to that world beyond the uttermost pole, in which is mine abiding empire. For I am he whose coming even the gods may not oppose. He's a... Uh... He's pretty badass. Putteth rhyme at the core of suns. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, What does that mean? What's rhyme? An accumulation of granular ice tufts. So he like oh, freezes. So freezing, up. freezing up the that sun. That is so cool. <laughs> oh, you remember how the sun became all cold? Oh, that's right. In, um... So uh, the white worm does that, and it's super awesome. And that whole thing that he says, <laughs> I would like to dwell on more but i don't even know what to say about it it's just awesome uh, it's just worship me and we're gonna go around and destroy the earth and then i'll bring yeah. you to my home Free, freeze everything yeah. and then we're gonna go back to the north pole and it's gonna be totally rocking Dude, seriously um 100 cult yep yeah and there's there's this little sentence that says evog performed the sevenfold rite that is scarce suitable for narration here and swore the threefold vow on speakable alienation which uh, makes me think that Ibon is kind of a wimp because yeah. come on Ibon, put the shit in here. We want to know. <laughs> we want to know what the sevenfold right is. We want to know the vow of unspeakable alienation. What's the point of buying the book of Ibon if it doesn't actually write out the spells? I think every teenager takes the vow of unspeakable alienation. Right? <laughs> you like turn thirteen and you whisper it in your sleep and then you're just done. <laughs> Make me come home from the mall. Three alienation here. Just see. Right is scarce suitable for narration, mom. <laughs> it's probably like take out the garbage. <laughs> it's probably like when you would give the finger at the wall because your mom is on the other side of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I, I do that all the time. Just, as, just so you guys know, I'm right now cutting and pasting this so into my fake cult. <laughs> yes. Good. I love I'll it. I'll join Good. your fake cult yeah. when you're ready. Oh, I have one for real. <laughs> oh, we'll have to talk later. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Okay. Bye. So he's not the only sorcerer there, nor are the two guys who picked him up. Instead, there's actually um, eight of them. Eight. Five others that are from the far north, and so they just go sailing around, causing icy doom, performing the great ritual. Unspeakable alienation, hanging out. <laughs> yeah. um, not taking out the trash. <laughs> nope. They, uh, they, and they describe at one point um, this really awesome ritual that they do for the worm. And there's like, the story kind of dips into this, like, if I'm not mistaken, this sort of like... Uh, there's like a time ellipse. It's like mm-hmm. yeah. the vlog's on this bizarre iceberg doom ship right. for a while. As it's traveling around and it's yeah. he's watching as it freezes <laughs> everything that it comes by. And he kind of feels bad about it a little bit. A little bit. 
Um, and they they describe one ritual, uh, which I think is awesome. It's a ritual, I guess, of supplication to the worm, whose cadences corresponded to the falling of those eye-like tears that were wept by the worm, and with genuflections time to the yawning and shutting of his mouth. Uh, and the, that yielded Rim Schlockhorth the uh, required adoration. I just love the idea of these eight wizards doing this weird time. Yeah. Like, bowing to, like, both the falling of his weird eyeball blood tears mm-hmm. and also the way that his mouth just, like, opens and shuts. Yeah, and shuts. it's great. It's so, like, specific yeah. to this story. Like, it really makes it... Definitely. It grounds it. It's really crazy. It's like, this is really the grossest story. I know. Well, then it takes a, a, well, as Phil called it, an Agatha Christie turn. Right. Oh, yeah, because there's some, the, there's the other <laughs> wizards, the five wizards are from Polarion, right? Mm-hmm. And they don't speak. Nobody can understand their language. So they all just, like, hang out together. But then one goes missing. I don't know how many, how many disappear before they ask the worm. But, yeah, it does, like, it's it suddenly the story, which is already existing in this weird... I always bring up genre, but like existing in this bizarre genre void. I don't even know what I would call this. Yeah. Suddenly it becomes like a mystery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like where did the other sorcerers go? And one by one they disappear, like in, you know, Ten Little Indians or, and then there were none or something. Yeah. Um, ten Little Rune Encrusted Wizards. <laughs> Every time a wizard disappears, they also notice that the worm gets larger and everybody's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I say it's a mystery, but it's not really no. a mystery. No, but, um, uh, Evog, he totally gets it. He knows what's going on, even though the other guys are too dumb or too they, See, they've bought into it i kind of thought that they all kind of knew but they were all too scared no to maybe yeah maybe Not. i don't know i i like to think that evlog is the only guy who gets it. i agree there's this part there's this part that that he asks in my notes he says that he asked the worm i guess and maybe he does but but in the worm's response to it is is like where the story takes yet another awesome layer of meaning which is sort of what we were hinting at later earlier which is that like Basically, these guys are in a cult. Like mm-hmm. he asks the worm what happened to them, and the worm is like, "Oh, I gave them the enlightenment that I promised them," which is totally like you know a bullshit answer for I devoured them. Devoured yeah. them. But see, um, then also at the end, yeah, are they're in there yeah. and they did get the knowledge. So yeah. I kind of think that they knew, and they were just well, that's what we got to do. That's what we right. got to do. That's true. Well, well, or maybe, I don't think, I think you know? that they, I think it's like he's not lying. Like it is an enlightenment. Evog is, he's like going on stakeouts and he's exploring the other wizards' homes looking for them. He's like trying yeah. to summon ghosts to talk to, but there's nothing. <laughs> like he can't find anything. He even, even on his stakeout, he like stakes out the worm's abode and, to see like who's going in and who's going out and nobody ever goes in or out. Yeah, and they can't and they're trying to just like discuss well what is the what does the worm eat and they all come up with these BS answers like oh it's the liver of whales or the hearts of white <laughs> arctic bears or yeah BS guys keep telling yourself that. <laughs> <laughs> but it, and it's not until our next ring doesn't it come until Evlog is the last one, right? Yeah. Like, he lets them all get eaten before he before he, he makes this yeah. lonely pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. Um, he's such a procrastinator. I'll get around <laughs> to asking the worm what he's eating later. <laughs> he tries to escape. He tries to leap off the iceberg, but Uxlodon tells him, no, you're, you have to live here now. If you leave, you're going to die because your body has been transformed to live on the iceberg. Right. 
You can't Which live is, in the real world anymore. I wonder if it, that's true or not. It's that's like, a good uh, question, but I think probably. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, the temperature bends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Remember how like we said there was no pressure. science in this story? <laughs> Who's eating the words now? No, that's not science, though. <laughs> <laughs> that's not science, though. <laughs> I will see you on the field of scientific debate, Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> this is clearly I will bring a scientist. <laughs> I will bring hearsay and rumor <laughs> and legend. Um, yeah, so... So one of the things that they do uncover, though, while doing all this speculation is that at the dark of the moon, the uh, worm sleeps. The tears stop falling, the mouth stops opening and closing, and he goes into some sort of period of repose. And so he just stores away that handy little fact. It does seem like Smith has, like, an affinity for lazy-ass deities. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like... Lim Shikorth doesn't do any, like, the most he does is cry and open and close his mouth like he's silently sobbing, and then when he goes to sleep, he just stops. Maybe it's that he worked so hard, so hard, (laughs) to put together this iceberg, right? He worked his ass off for, like, maybe millennia, and now he's finally, this is like, he's retired. He's like a retired god who's on his, like, retirement cruise that just happens to involve the death of planets and suns. You say iceberg, I say compound. (laughs) (laughs) I say retirement home. He, like... (laughs) But, yeah, he, 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 Smith does seem to have an affinity for lazy gods. Like, he's got to take a nap from just sitting there and silently sobbing. <laughs> well, wouldn't you if you cried for like a month? <laughs> I would so need it's not a nap even like, it's, not just, it's not just crying, though, because it's, it's his eyeballs that are turning into tears, right? It's, yeah, they're like popping. Yeah, it's got to be exhausting. It's yeah. got to be exhausting. So finally, it's just Evog. He decides, you know, I'm here. I might as well keep doing my rituals. So at that time when the moon had waned and darkened wholly, it occurred that Evig climbed before Rylam Shikorth with infinite trepidation and loath laggard steps, and, entering the dome with downcast eyes, he found himself to be the sole worshipper. Palsy fear was upon him as he made obeisance, and scarcely he dared to lift his eyes and regard the worm. But even as he began to perform the customary genuflections, he became aware that the red tears of Rylam Shikorth no longer fell on the purple stalagmites, nor was there any sound such as the worm was wont to make by the perpetual opening and shutting of his mouth. And venturing at last to look upward, Evig beheld the abhorrently swollen mass of the monster, whose thickness was such as to overhang the dais's rim, and he saw that the mouth and eye-holes of Rylam Shikorth were closed as if in slumber, and thereupon he recalled how the wizards of Thulask had told him that the worms slept for an interval at the darkening of each moon, which was a thing he had forgotten temporarily in his extreme dread and apprehension. Now was Evig sorely bewildered, for the rites he had learned from his fellows could be fittingly performed only while the tears of Rylam Shikorth fell down and his mouth gaped and closed and gaped again in measured alternation, and none had instructed him as to what rites were proper and suitable during the slumber of the worm, and being in much doubt, he said softly, Wakest thou, O Rylam Shikorth? <laughs> Man, Evog. <laughs> I think that's I'm so funny. Are you awake? Excuse me, sir. Awkward, but are you asleep? 
Uh, also, <laughs> he dared to lift his eyes and regard the worm. Yeah. Ooh, that's scandalous. <laughs> but that, I, that's, this is, I think, a great... And again, like, it's one of those 20 times in Smith where I, I, I think he's trying to be funny because it's this great sort of horrific horrific setup mm-hmm. uh, and it's like scary and suspenseful and bizarre and then that line that like five word line wake us out over the like chorus I, I think it's if not like laugh out loud funny at least supposed to be um, kind of amusing yeah Smack totally your forehead like, it catches funny. you off guard yeah. it's like who why yeah, would you totally do that <laughs> see it's kind of funny when I read it I I guess my brain was like nah that's too silly and I kind of thought he was doing it as a command to see if he would wake oh uh, oh, and yeah. But then I see that you put the question mark in and part of the quote, so I'm like, maybe that is funny. <laughs> Wait, is, it, is the question mark in the story, or did oh, I make I that up? I think so. Yeah, it's in the story. Well, who knows in my copy. Oh, right. And he says it softly, so he's like... Uh-huh. Well, in much doubt. Wakest thou, yeah. Rim <laughs> He's not quite sure how to proceed here. Nobody taught him. This wasn't in the dad? manual. Dad? Right, exactly. It's like you need to borrow money from your dad, and he's sleeping. The detail that you can't, uh, the the weird rituals that they do that have to be timed to his mouth opening and mm-hmm. closing and his tears falling, you can't do them if they're not doing no. those things, which is totally weird. I love that idea yeah. of that ritual. I don't, I don't, anyway, it's just cool. Did O-Rim Slykoff awake? No. No, but his stomach did. His stomach did. A multitude of voices issued forth from within the tumid mass. The tumid mass. <laughs> And they were kind of muffled, but he can kind of tell that it's these guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He recognizes the voices, of, the voice of Dooney, <laughs> and Dooney tells him the worm's sleeping, and he's devoured us, and now we're part of him. He he mm-hmm. has our souls, like Freddy in Nightmare on Elm Street Four. We're only existing <laughs> in this dark and noisome dungeon. That kind of sucks. Because... And they, this is the part where I'm where they explain why these guys were chosen. He says. He saved us from the white doom because we alone of all mankind who are sorcerers of a high attainment and mastery may endure the lethal ice change and become breathers of the airless right. void and thus in the end be made suitable for the preventer of such. So he like chose them because he knew they could survive that like transformation of their bodies to survive and become his like traveling snack His bar. larder. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where they talk about where that William Shykorth might have come from space right yeah or from like Ooh. a void void beyond or something is what they say because yeah, there's like, other uh, references to it too where like he is walking around and looking at all the ice stuff and he sees like vessels that might belong to other ages of, right or worlds mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah he's ancient beyond the antiquity of worlds but not immortal but he's omniscient yeah. but knows not the waking of save that he knows not the waking of them he has devoured or their awareness during his slumber so he's, he's omniscient but only when he's awake and he doesn't, so he doesn't know at all that the wizards are still, like, sentient inside of no. him. No. Which is weird. And they tell him how to, how to hurt him. They tell them. Yeah. <laughs> they tell him, they tell him how to kill him. This is where the story, like, I think, I mean, I love the story, obviously, but this is the kind of stuff that, like, a writer today would never get away with. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, coincidentally... You can kill him. There's only one time when you can right. kill him. Coincidentally, it's immediately it's right, right now, now in this very instant. And you have a sword on you. Yeah. <laughs> but also, before you do that, like I'm gonna ask, we're gonna talk some more. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, because he learns how to kill him, and then it goes. The story goes on to say that Evog like just has this far-ranging conversation. He's like talks to Thunian 
Oxlodon for a little while before, like, before killing this. It's such a weird, like, it's this weird issue of, like, <laughs> and this is how you kill the worm. And at length, so there was silence in the dome. <laughs> <laughs> so what have you been up to? What's going on in there? Let so me tell you, things like up nice? here on the iceberg are way different without you. <laughs> Do you have, like, furniture in your own apartment in there? <laughs> Is it really What's the rent like? But they also say whoever slays Rulim Shaikorth will perish in the slaying. So you kill him and you die as well. So you kind of have a choice. You can join everybody, mm-hmm. all the wizards within, which doesn't seem awesome, or you can die. You can kill it and die. And save worlds. Yeah, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Which is how maybe how, this is how the Ice Age got stopped, which is kind of a cool mm-hmm. thing as well. Right. Like when you say, okay, Ice Age, but why didn't it come all the way down? Let's not talk science here. Let's talk worm killing. <laughs> Phil, I'll I'm see you there. The science, okay? <laughs> I have friends who studied it all their lives, and if they heard you say that, they would be so upset. <laughs> it's an art, Phil. Killing is an art, not a science. What, science can't be an art? Jeez, Ruth. <laughs> Uh, sorry. Anyway. (laughs) So he, apparently, this entire time, he's been carrying around a well-tempered sword of Brahms, which is great. And it probably wouldn't have taken that much for Smith to mention that in the beginning of the story. But, yeah, he pulls it out. Oh, I happen to have a worm killing us (laughs) right right here. Oh, and I've been carrying it around forever, so don't ask about it. So he pulls the blade out, and then he just slides it in there. Slump. And then slices him open. And his whole hand, like, it sucks his whole hand in. Uh, yeah, I think this is, like, for, for um, as critical as I was being to the moments leading up to this, I think this is an awesome stab yeah, of the monster. Yeah, Because it's, like, it, like, it's a stab, but it, in my mind, like, it just sort of, it's, like, it cuts, but then it, like, just bursts. Yeah. Open, like, and, like, sucks him in even as he starts to, he just starts to, like, it's not even bleeding. It's, like, no. a like a flood of... As if he had like a black putrescence yeah. or something. As if he had stabbed a monstrous bladder. And he's like yeah. Oscar's garbage can where it just keeps coming right. and doesn't right. diminish right. like that. It was even more in there than it looked like. And the worm isn't even moving at all. No. And it's just welling as if from some exa- inexhaustible spring of foulness. Yeah. And it's not getting smaller. It's just no. it's not like it's emptying out and deflating. It's just nope. emptying out. It's gushing. <laughs> so gross. So he tries to run away, and he's trying to get a, a foothold because it's already up to his ankles. The gash is widening, and the stream is coming, and so finally it pushes him off the stairs that he's trying to grow up just by its force of, of the flow, and he's hurled to his death on the ice steps. R.I.P. Evog. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That day, on the sea to eastward of Middle Hyperborea, the crews of certain merchant galleys beheld an unheard of thing, for, lo as they sped north, returning from far ocean isles with a wind that aided their oars, they sighted in the late forenoon a monstrous iceberg whose pinnacles and crags loomed high as mountains. The berg shone in part with a weird light, and from its loftiest pinnacle poured an ink-black torrent, and all the ice cliffs and buttresses beneath were a stream with rapids and cascades and sheeted falls of the same blackness that fumed like boiling water as they plunged oceanward, and the sea around the iceberg was clouded and streaked for a wide interval as if with the dark fluid of the cuttlefish. The mariners feared to sail closer, but, full of awe and marveling, they stayed their oars and lay watching the berg. They saw that it dwindled swiftly, 
melting as though some unknown fire consumed it, and the air took on a strange warmth, and the water about their ships grew tepid. Crag by crag the ice was runnelled and eaten away, and huge portions fell off with a mighty splashing, and the highest pinnacle collapsed, but still the blackness poured out as from an unfathomable fountain. By sunset time the berg had diminished to a mass no larger than a common flow, yet still the welling blackness overstreamed it, and it sank low in the wave, and the weird light was quenched altogether. Thereafter, the night being moonless, it was lost to vision, and a gale rose, blowing strongly from the south, and at dawn the sea was void of any remnant. Concerning the matters related above, many and various legends have gone forth throughout Muthuman and all the extreme hyperboreal kingdoms and archipelagos, even to the southmost isle of Ozdror. The truth is not in such tales, for no man has known the truth heretofore. But I, the sorcerer Iben, calling up through my necromancy the wave-wandering specter of Evig, have learned from him the veritable history of the worm's advent, and I have written it down in my volume with such omissions as are needful for the sparing of mortal weakness and sanity. And men will read this record, together with much more of the Elder Lore, in days long after the coming and melting of the Great Glacier. So maybe Ibon edited stuff out of my story. Because yeah. While you were reading that, there was a bunch of things missing. That seems like the, the issue of Ibon having to call up the specter of Evog makes me curious, though, because Ibon was also a Hyperborean sorcerer, right? Mm-hmm. So I wonder, like, how many times did Hyperborea freeze? Or did... Maybe this was, like, the week after. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the week after he killed the worm. <laughs> maybe he was south of the freezing and was like, hmm. Right, okay, yeah. I wonder what happened. Let me call up the spirit of... Cause it appears Evog, my friend to the north, or acquaintance to the north, has died or whatever, so... He's out there wave-wandering. Yeah. Um, Maybe he wrote it on Saturn. It's true. Oh, man, that oh, is, yes. He <laughs> probably <laughs> had <laughs> nothing else to do but, like, yeah. hang out with people with faces on their stomachs <laughs> yeah. and, like... The blimp old wizards. <laughs> I feel like the Book of Ibon must have been written before he went to Saturn. Yeah, right? I, I yeah, agree. But yeah, but still. So, have it, I like this idea. Have, any of you guys seen uh, The Beyond, that Lucio Fulci movie? Oh, yes. Because no. uh, the, there's Actually. an ancient book in it that is the Book of Ibon. Oh, really? Yeah, it is. And yeah. it's just really funny to me because I think when they put it in the movie, they were like, oh, this is like a creepy ancient text in this but it's like stories like that are yeah. actually in the book and yeah, like yeah. going to Saturn it's like not that scary so <laughs> worms and Ibon yeah and we also don't yeah. know how long Ibon lived for right he could have been like yeah. 200 years old by the time he went to Saturn this is true yeah that's true he's a wizard he could have made it back from Saturn right I don't know no actually. no he stays no, on Saturn he died there yeah 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 I know. <laughs> Ivan's the weirdest character. I do kind of wish it was the Book of Evolve. I know. He seems like a much cooler <laughs> wizard. Heck yeah. Oh man, that's awesome. That's an awesome idea too. It's like, it could be like, uh, like those apocryphal books of the Bible or something. Yeah. Like the Book of Evog. Um, but that's how the story ends. <laughs> I don't know. For some reason, I don't know if I have anything else to say about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty... Like the ending, like it, it, it has... Once again, like it has like a like a almost 
an adventure story ending almost. Right. This, like giant iceberg melt, and that's cool. Right. Um, I, it definitely is like as much as we joked about it and made fun of it. It's like oh, I love this story. Yeah, me too. I I adore it. I think it's really really cool. Yeah, um, it's really really easy to get caught up in it. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. At least when you like Smith, like this was one of the very first Smith stories I read. Oh, and- really? Yeah, which was a, ba- a mistake. <laughs> that might, yeah, that might be <laughs> because weird. Because I, I was just like, what? Just like <laughs> had had no idea. But then, like after reading it again after I read a few more stories, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I get this. You know, right. sorcerers and white worm, and and I feel like this story to me uh, has a mix of. So I talked earlier about the white sibyl and ice demon combined with. Ubosathla and Abhoth as the worm. They, they, the two of them make me think of the worm. So you've got this primordial being, although it doesn't spawn life, it spawns death. And you've got this story about the coming of the Ice Age. So um, it wraps all of these up into one story. Yeah. yeah, and there's a little bit of the double shadow in there right in the beginning when things are happening and he's trying all his magics, but he oh, can't, yeah. figure out, can't figure <laughs> what's out what's going, going on. on. Like of all of of all of Clark Ashton Smith's stories that we've read, with the possible exception of Colossus, this is the one that most feels to me like he could have turned it into a novel because it does like it does. There it, is a it, lot like, of stuff. There's a there's a lot of stuff. Like you could very easily imagine, and, and it is Dracula-ish. Like you could yeah. imagine the story much longer, mm-hmm. where the where the Agatha Christie part is actually like like yeah. a truly yeah. a mystery. Yeah. yeah. And, like, you, you get to meet all of these sorcerers, and then they start to disappear, and then it's, like, actually a mystery and stuff. Um, and if you wanted to make it more like Dracula, you could have all eight of the wizards try to court the worm, and you could yeah. talk about their attributes <laughs> yeah. for, like, pages and pages and pages. <laughs> yeah. And bore me to death. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sorry, I hate the novel Dracula. I also like that, um, that it's kind of like Smith setting the record straight about the Ice Age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, know yeah. you heard a lot of stories like the Ice Demon and the White Sybil, but this is the real story. I've weaved you a lot of tales, <laughs> a lot of tales. <laughs> Evog, though, isn't isn't. I wouldn't put him very high on my list of. Um, although I like the story, he's not a very. Uh, you know, we all know Clark Ash Smith gives good necromancer and he mm. gives good sorcerer. Evog is a little bit of a nothing character to me. He was a little bit of like a okay. I don't know. Yeah, I like Evog. He's like, yeah, he knows what's up. He he doesn't like, he's never really confused. He kind of knows what's going on at all times and is content with just just like hanging out and waiting to see how things play out. I just feel like in terms of like Clark Ashton Smithian protagonists, some of them have like a little trait that makes them stand out. And Evog doesn't really have that for me. Like, remember how Athemaeus was an awesome bureaucrat? Yes. Like, I don't, I don't quite know. Like, like Evog doesn't have a. Well, surprisingly, it was um, a re- like his distinctive quality was his relationship with his crone, but she died too no. soon, <laughs> so we didn't really get the ins and outs. It's like if this were a novel, there could be an awesome chapter where he just sits on the iceberg and stares at the sea and weeps actual tears about uh, <laughs> his dead crone. Y'all are weird. <laughs> I like Evog. He's like a barbarian wizard. He's all clad in furs with a copper sword, mm-hmm. slaying worms. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I don't like him. I'm just saying that he doesn't capture my right. imagination like some of the other wizards that we've met. That's, you know? Yeah, he's a he's a um, he's a good detective. He's an alright detective. I mean, I think we all I think we all saw that coming. Yeah, yeah, I know. In my notes, I was like, okay, they're all too stupid to understand what's going on here. 
Oh, I man. think he's pretty cool because yeah. I think just the fact that he was chosen by that big worm alone. Yeah, right. Pretty badass necromancer. It, it obviously didn't choose Ibon because it was like, nope. yeah. you're ridiculous, first of all. And he also killed the giant worm that had devoured all those other powerful yeah. wizards from other worlds. And he was the only one that thought to ask it questions while it was asleep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it doesn't seriously. sound as impressive as I thought it I was. Mean, <laughs> like, the, things, the things that he does are interesting. I just, I, he doesn't have the, like, the twinkle in his right. eye. No, <laughs> right. he doesn't have yeah. the charisma. Of, of pers- of personality that, that other uh, Smithian protagonists have. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Let's agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I respect your opinion, but it's dead wrong. <laughs> Uh, so um, anything else? Wait, I wanna, yeah. I wanna, I wanna ask uh, our guest a last question, okay. Mike. What is the is it is it just the strength of the monster that made you chose coming of the white worm to return to the double shadow, or what? Like, what to you is the the reason that you wanted this to be a story for you to talk about? It is like I'll say it's probably my third, definitely top five, Clark Ashton Smith stories. Mostly because of the monster, and I do kind of like Arctic horror stories, like that whole setting. Like, it's very bleak, and like the idea of like being that cold, and like, I don't know, there's something like really creepy about it. Like, who goes there, or at Mountains of Madness are all like really high up there for me, too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think it's mostly the monster and how it, like, because it really is. If the goal is to be alien and weird, yeah, he nailed it. That's like such a bizarre entity to create, and like a weird setup too. Yeah. Like it's a not only is it a giant worm, but it's a giant worm that lives on wizards <laughs> and freezes everything in its wake. It's so weird. Yeah. If we ever start that, um, like double shadow, like specialty food item, right? Yep. Oh. Item that we're talking mm. about, like wizard snacks, is definitely going to be yes. one of the things. Yeah. Because we had like, yeah. but not like, white worm fillet. Weren't we going to sell berries, like the berries that Athemaeus? Like I remember uh, we had other ideas for foods and drinks. The one that just, the uh, <laughs> we were going to make a wine oh, and yeah. name it after that that dude that got smashed by the <laughs> the ice because he like burst. <laughs> As the cave mouth closed in on him and his blood just sprayed on the ice. We were going to name a, a wine after him. But our shop should be called Shy Course Larder. Oh. <laughs> Wizard snacks now. Temperature tempered. Yeah. <laughs> temperature tempered or oh, something? Yeah, they're totally frozen snacks. Yeah. They're, oh, yeah. Like, they're like things you're supposed to put in the freezer yeah. before you and eat. You, eat, you have to eat them cold. It's like eating frozen grapes. Yeah, but they will speak to you in your stomach. But don't worry, you, you won't know. <laughs> and then eventually they give you diarrhea. Just like, oh, <laughs> Phil. They, 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 they whisper to a plum how to tell you. <laughs> that was really weird. There's, <laughs> there's a, um, an, what's, this is one of the few stories, too, for which there's actually an audio recording on the Eldritch Dark. You can get to it on their website. Uh, if you go to the Eldritch Dark and then you click on Spoken Word in the sidebar, and it'll be near the top of the listings. So it's under C. Man, I wasted all that time reading the story. I guess <laughs> read it too. No, no. It's, it's good to read with your eyes. <laughs> well, actually, not your copy. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. Damn it. Uh, I learned so much on this episode. I learned that Mike has been to all the continents. Yeah. I guess that's it. That's pretty good. <laughs> I learned that wizard snacks don't digest. Should be taken with fiber. I definitely, when I was on my trip to Antarctica, I definitely quoted this thing a lot and had a lot of confused looks. <laughs> what, like, line, what line from the thing do you quote to a stranger? 
Uh, well, it was just like because I, you know, met some people while I was on the trip, and like we became friends, and just like in you know conversation, I'd be like, "You gotta be f-ing kidding!" <laughs> and no one would understand what I was saying. And it's just like, ah, oh, it's from Antarctica. You know where we're going? No, forget it. Do you want to plug your fake cult? Oh yeah, I started a fake cult for my blog. <laughs> it is the Seventh Church of the Illuminator. If you want to go, there's like a history of it that I made up. I had a really good time making up a fake cult. <laughs> I'll, um, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's pretty funny. But I also, if you go and look at it right now, one of the sacred texts is the Book of Evog. <laughs> nice. <Just changed> <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> uh, another thing is that I'm also going to be in the Ars Necronomica show at oh, yeah. University. Oh, with, cool. A uh, couple other folks. Like uh, my friend Paul Romano is going to be in it, and Nick Blinko is going to be in it, which I'm really excited about. He was the guy from Rudimentary Peni that did all their art. Should look him up; he's awesome and crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like I think he really was institutionalized. But... <laughs> oh wait, so then yeah. it's not funny. Yeah, I take it that's not, that's not funny. But they actually have uh, an entire Lovecraft-themed album. Very cool. Oh, wow. Worth listening to if you like really. I think I might have heard that. Punk. Yeah, it's like super weird. Really cool. cool. But yeah, I'm excited that he's going to have work on that show. And yeah, it seems like it's going to be uh, really cool. And actually, um, one my friend Alan, who did one of the guests in the Witch House pieces on my blog, uh, they actually contacted him based on that one piece. Oh, cool. Show, nice. So that'll be cool too. So yeah. Go check all that. I think that show is actually going to be in three different venues. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, my work, I'm pretty sure, is going to be at Brown. At Brown. Okay. The Brown University Gallery. Awesome. So that was the White Worm. We only have one episode left in Hyperborea, <laughs> uh, and it is the theft of the 39 girdles, with, which will be. With Satan Brazeros. Oh, yeah. With the return of Satan Brazeros. Is that and... like the Hyperborean panty raid? <laughs> Probably right. we yes. Keep it clean. We only talk about penises. <laughs> and uh, where do you guys go after uh, Hyperborea? We haven't really decided because there's this whole issue of um, Tim, and I think he's right. Wants to shut wants to shut it down with Zothique. Yeah. Right. Right. So we have there's two mini settings that we haven't done yet, and then there's everything else, which is like this huge. It's like 50 stories that aren't really in any of the settings. So we kind of have to decide. We're going to have to have an epic putting together night where yeah. we sit down yeah. and put together all the things. Yeah. Um, but I do think we're going to save Zothique for the end. Mm-hmm. Um, because let's be honest, that's a really good note to go yeah, out on. It's and we're so really good. looking forward to that. Also, if we don't do Zothique, we'll have to keep going with the podcast. Like, There's no way we can shut right. it down before we do Zothique. <laughs> so it's, it's in your best interest, too, that we, hold to, that we do Zothique last. Yeah, and it would be fun to do um, some of his more, like, his non-setting stuff. Like his oh, yeah, I want to do, like, Return of the Sorcerer. And... Yeah. Well, even just, oh he God. wrote some ones about horror stories, like a yeah. dude murdering yeah. his wife. And... Oh, and the Treader of Dust, right? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that, yeah. like, a non-setting one? Yeah, yeah, that, that's one of the, um, or I think maybe that has a, com- has a companion piece, I think. That's, like, because there's, there's, like, two super mini settings that have, like, two stories or three stories. Oh. Mm-hmm. There's one is the Maze of the Enchanter. Yeah, we'll have to um, do that one. Which is Alt-Web. an awesome story. And uh, and then the other setting might actually be Mars or something boring like that. I mean, boring in that he chose <laughs> something Mars. Something boring like <laughs> Mars. God. Well, I mean, after, you, <laughs> after you've been uh, through Hyperborea, Mars seems... 
like I guess I'd say boring because it's like everybody wanted to be Edgar Rice Burroughs right. with yeah. all the Mars mm-hmm. stories. Um, but you know, all those Smiths, so it's gonna be you know, it'll be yeah, that's true. Stuff. Yeah. Okay, that's it. All right. Awesome. Bye, Thanks Mike. for having me on, guys. This is really awesome again. All right, and yeah, I'm glad we finally got this recorded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay. Thank you and good night. Bye. Bye. Bum 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 b